Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm David Osman, and with me today is Brunello Rosa of Rosa and Rubini Associates. Our subject for this podcast is the existential threat facing the European Union in 2021 and 2022. The Independent Research Forum promotes a wide range of the world's best independent research providers, both macro and micro, some stock pickers, some sector-specific, some country-specific, many global, all investment-related. Brunello Rosa is the co-founder, chief executive officer, and head of research at Rosa and Rubini Associates. Before co-founding Rosa and Rubini, Brunello was a managing director at Rubini Global Economics, which he joined from the Bank of England. Brunello is not only a visiting professor, lecturer, and contributor at various universities and international institutions, he is also a research associate at the Systemic Risk Centre of the London School of Economics and Political Science, where he teaches macroeconomics and finance. The other co-founder of Rosa and Rubini is, of course, Noel Rubini, who is well, well known as an expert on financial crises and is widely recognised for having predicted the US housing bust and its fallout that led to the global financial crisis of 2007 to 2009. Noel Rubini is also a professor of economics at the New York University Stern School of Business. Previously, he served as the senior economist for international affairs on the White House Council of Economic Advisers, and then a senior advisor to the Undersecretary for International Affairs at the US Treasury Department. Rosa and Rubini Associates provides high-end, independent, macro-financial research and advisory services for a variety of clients, primarily asset managers, institutional investors, private and public sector organisations, and various non-financial corporations. With a team of experienced senior analysts located around the world, Rosa and Rubini Associates have an enviable track record of out-of-consensus views that have proved correct over time. Brunello, welcome. Let's begin with a brief introduction to the Rosa and Rubini service and the way that you analyse what is happening in the world today. Thank you, David, and hello, everyone. Yeah, at R&R, the way we call it, uh, Rosa and Rubini Associates, we use a holistic and heuristic approach to analyse the major events in the global economy. And we analyse data coming from effectively five areas, macroeconomics, finance, political risk, geopolitics, and cyber risk uh, slash fintech, we can call it. Uh, as David said, we, we have economists around the globe, and each of them is very senior. To work with us, you need to have experience in three areas, policymaking, academia, and the private sector, so to be able to provide a well-rounded service for our clients. As David said, we had a number of our consensus calls over the year. Uh, already in 2017, we said that central banks were in the process of moving goalposts because they were unable to reach their inflation target, something that has come to the fore in the last few months with the strategy review, first of the Fed and then of the ECB. On Brexit, 
not just in 2016, we were among the few that said that Brexit could have actually happened instead of just being a risk scenario. But then we launched this idea of Brexit versus Grexit uh, of a few a few years ago, when we said the Brexit process would be extremely cumbersome and complicated and we'll end up with something pretty hard, pretty hard Brexit with uh, maybe a Canadian-style FTA, which is exactly where we are three, three years down the road. Closer to us, we published on the second wave of the pandemic on the 24th of March, when the first wave just started. And it's somehow surprising that somebody believed that uh, this second wave of the pandemic was not uh, expected, in our view. More importantly, I would say in 2018, Nouriel and I wrote a series of articles saying that the, that the global financial crisis was brewing. And we were not just very generic. We were saying this will happen in 2020. This is exactly what happened. It's not that we have the crystal ball, we analyze what's going on. And at that point, we thought that the fragility of the system was such that a shock would be enough to tip the global economy into a recession and a financial crisis. That uh, event happened to be COVID, but could have been uh, many other things. So I would say this is a bit of an introduction of how we do things and what we do at r You have a track record of predicting crises ahead of other people. So why do you fear that the European Union could be facing an existential crisis within the next two years? This has been a long-term view of us because this rise of populist parties from within the EU and in many countries of the EU is really posing a threat. Some of the positive, so to speak, of the last European, of the latest European elections, in our opinion, were not as positive as people made of it. Because in order to form a majority in the European Parliament, two groups, the Socialists and the Christian and the Christian Democrats, so to speak, were not enough. You had to add the Liberals and to some extent uh, rely also on some former populist parties or borderline such as the five stars in the European Parliament from Italy. So, unfortunately, time is in favour of the populist parties and if things don't get resolved, eventually they might come to power. Initially, they never come to power straight away. first step is influencing the policies of the mainstream parties. The second step is preventing mainstream parties from going to power alone and so forcing them into coalition or even worse, grand coalition and only at the third phase of their development, so to speak, they reach power and when, when that happens, tends to be too late. Now, perhaps because now people are a bit more aware of the fact that this crisis may occur and then Europe may actually collapse, the policy response to this COVID crisis has been much, much quicker than it used to be. It has been, in fact, in 2008-2009. Uh, monetary policy was immediately super accommodative and fiscal policy was also accommodative in all countries, including Germany. And then on top of that, we had the pan-European policy response with the Next Generation EU programme. And so that's definitely 
a step in the right direction. It's a way of keeping the populist parties at bay. However, it's not the end of it. The EU funds still need to reach European countries. Some of the funds from the recovery fund will only arrive pretty late, so maybe in the middle of next year, while the crisis is biting now, and some of these funds may be needed in the next few days or weeks rather than months. And so with new lockdowns and new restrictions, uh, unfortunately, you will provide more arguments to populist parties. Now, just to finish uh, finishing up this part of the conversation with the exact answer to your question, why between 21 and 22? The reason is because there's a series of very important elections in this period. In September 2021, Germany will have its own parliamentary election that, as you know, lead to the formation of a new government. And uh, by now, we kind of take for granted that Merkel government will, will continue until the end. But Merkel has already said that uh, she will not run for another mandate and also that there will be a new leader of the CDU. And so we need to see uh, what this new leader of the CDU is. Um, there's the distinct possibility that he's going to be somebody more right with the, than Merkel, perhaps to recoup some of these potential populist votes that have gone to the AFT. In, in Germany. Uh, and therefore, this might come to power with a very different political plan than Merkel had, especially towards his attitude towards Southern Europe. That's the first election that really needs to go well, so to speak, for European leaders, not to pose a threat. Imagine if Germany were to become really ungovernable, what it would mean. Already in the last couple of occasions, it has been pretty hard for Germany to form a government, in particular in the last occasion. Then we have, in January 22, the election of the, uh, the Italian president of the Republic. This is often overlooked as an important element, but the president of Italy is absolutely crucial because he stays in power seven years. He has extensive powers, although this is not often recognized, but he can form government, he appoints uh, not just the prime minister, but the minister is the head of the army, is presided the, the judiciary, is the ch commander in chief of the armed forces. So he's a very important and powerful figure. Now, of course, foreign policy is devolved to the prime minister. That's why we, we see him more often than the president. But when there's a crisis, any change in government, and so on, everything depends on the president. And now, uh, Italy had a very good run in the last two decades, pro-European, very savvy presidents. So in spite of the political volatility, Italy was kept on track in terms especially of these European commitments. But if you had to elect an anti-European president, things might change dramatically. You know that Italy is the weakest link of Europe, and so if Italy were to go into trouble, the entire European project would be in trouble. And then to finishing off, we have French elections in 22. We got the presidential elections in April and the parliamentary elections in June. And you know that Macron is the most pro-European leader out there. And so far, his position doesn't seem challenged. But if he were to become challenged, the 
push for a more integrated Europe would be weakened, and eventually the response to the to these parties could also be weakened. So I kind of gave a broad brush explanation of why, for us, there's still the risk of a euro crisis in in the next parties. Brunello, what are the market implications of these potential EU developments for European and other financial markets? We believe that the implications could be pretty large. Already now, the current policy response, especially what the ECB is doing in the purchases and the credit easing program, mean effectively that long-term rates at European level are kept very low in the Eurozone, but also in other countries, such as Sweden, for example. But just to focus our attention on Eurozone uh, assets, you know that German yields are now very often even lower than Japanese yields at the longer end. Uh, And so other Eurozone uh, uh, long-term rates in France, in the Netherlands, even Spain and Portugal have massively benefited from asset purchases, and also Italy, of course. But then again, if anything were to go wrong, if some of these um, countries were to deviate from uh, fiscal responsibility, so to speak, then you could see a reduced um, backstop from the central bank and therefore long-term rates may suddenly rise. That could also happen in case investors perceived that there might be a return of the redenomination in the Eurozone, as it happened during the Greek and Europe financial crisis in um, 2008-2012, more or less. And again, in the case of Italy, during the first super populist government, as we can say, the Lega Five Star government in 2018. So I would say these are the major financial implications for long-term rates. And of course, for the Euro, you can imagine the euro currency, if we were to face a dissolution, would fast depreciate. And with it, of course, there would be uh, a repercussion on the banking system and therefore on the equity uh, indices across the eurozone. So the market implications of a euro crisis would be huge. And that's, for, that's the reason why we believe investors should put a lot of attention to these potential developments. Thank you so much for this fascinating insight into the service that is provided by R&R Associates. With more time, it would be interesting to discuss your views on America, Asia and elsewhere. The Independent Research Forum is offering a one-month free trial to the R&R Associates service and can provide details of how to subscribe to the full service. More information is available on request from the Independent Research Forum. Thank you for listening to this IRF podcast with Brunello Rosa of Rosa and Rubini Associates. <laughs>